What's up, everyone? I'm here again talking to you guys about ButcherBox. You guys know I've actually used ButcherBox before they were a sponsor. Uh, It's just really good meat at a really good price. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You don't have to worry. The beef is 100% grass-fed. The chicken is organic. The pork is humanely raised. The seafood is wild-caught. It's just good quality stuff. You save a lot of time. It's convenience. You'll eat better this year with the best meat and seafood on the planet delivered right to your door. It's actually offering our listeners now their choice of a weeknight meal essential. That's three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. I mean, if you're like me, that's like four meals right there that you're good for. Plus, you get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com underworld and use code underworld to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Again, new users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. And use the code UNDERWORLD and get $20 off your first box. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Underworld Podcast, the radio program where two journalists take you deep into the world of organized crime all around the globe. I am one of your hosts, Danny Gold. Usually I'm joined by the fantastic Sean Williams, but this week we have a special episode. First, as always, patreon.com slash the Underworld Podcast, or you can do it on iTunes too for bonus episodes. Uh, working on some interviews about what's been going on with the gangs in El Salvador with some folks who spent a lot of time on the ground there, and also an update on the streets of Trinidad, which I know was a big episode. Sean has some crazy stuff from his reporting trip to India. There is a lot going on. We've also got a bunch of other episodes in the bag involving the Zetas in Mexico, Vancouver gang wars. You know, I had one on Wagner and Russian mobsters fighting in Ukraine, but we'll see what happens with all that. And there's something I'm working on with Romanian mobsters that I'm actually looking for some help in researching. If anyone out there speaks Romanian, hit us up at the underworld podcast at gmail.com. But yeah, you know, we're still trying to get some episodes out. We're still kind of working out that contract stuff, but we'll be back sooner rather than later. This week, we are bringing you an episode from the good folks at Click Here about North Korea's obsession with stealing crypto, uh, you know, which is great. Yet another way to lose money on crypto. I thought I had discovered them all by losing all my money. Anyway, Click Here is a weekly podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. It's hosted by former NPR investigations correspondent Dina Temple Rastin. Click Here tells true stories about the people who make and break our digital world. They helped us out, so we're going to help them out and uh, and run this episode. But as always, you know, Spotify, iTunes, all that, underworldpod.com. We still have merch up there. And uh, anything else, you know, hit us up. We are always here. We're doing the, the YouTube channel. We're doing the Instagram. There's all sorts of weird 
uh, stuff up on all those that people help us out with. So definitely, definitely pay attention. We actually have our friend Lily who might be starting up a TikTok for us. That's right. Sean and I on TikTok or Lily doing it for us on TikTok, but maybe we'll make an appearance. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think and uh, enjoy your, your summer. Have a, have a great time. So give me an idea, what, like, how did it start? Can you sort of take us back to that? Yeah, so this happened um, in April. Uh, I got an inbound actually directly to my calendar from our ATS, what's called an applicant tracking system. And that's just automated human resources software. That's John Wu. He's the head of growth at a cryptocurrency company called Aztec Protocol. It provides a kind of VPN for crypto transactions to make them more private. And this past spring, he gets a job application from a guy named Bobby Sierra, who says he's from Canada. So I take a swing through the resume. It, it doesn't look that crazy. It's pretty solid. It looks like... The resume looks workmanlike. Some experience in crypto mining, a little gaming, and there's a cover letter. It, it feels like a relic of a, a different age. But this applicant happened to have a cover letter. I think what was really strange about the cover letter was the sign-off. Uh, you know, a bunch of platitudes and then the sentence... The world will see a great result from my hands. Instead of looking forward to talking or I can't wait for the interview, this guy writes, the world will see a great result from my hands. And that's like the type of thing someone with a laser cannon arm and, you know, a microchip for an eyeball would say, you know, like really deep Bond villain. I live inside a volcano. So it's safe to say that John Wu is feeling a little uneasy. Then, when the interview rolls around, Bobby Sierra apologizes and says, sorry, he can't use his camera. It doesn't seem to be working. But this person was purporting to be a capital R real person. And so to interview someone like that and not have the camera on is a huge red flag. According to Bobby's resume, he's from Canada, but his accent sounded really heavy, and John couldn't quite place it. I asked him where he was based. He said Hong Kong. So, red flag number two. And then... I asked him where he worked. He couldn't answer that question at all. In fact, when pushed on where he last worked, he actually muted himself for two minutes. Like he was muting the phone so he could ask someone for advice on what the correct answer was supposed to be. So when he finally came back on the line, John couldn't help but notice that it sounded like Bobby Sierra was sitting in a really busy office. There were all these other voices who also sounded like they were either in a call center or interviewing people or something that sounded like he was one of many. And then something made his heart skip a beat. He recognized the language in the background. I heard a mix of both English and Korean. I kind of freaked out a little bit and I logged off and I kind of shut my computer down and I turned to my team and I said, I think I interviewed a North Korean hacker. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, the wild and woolly world of North Korea's hacking program. Turns out that weird interview was likely part of something much bigger. The North Korean government is not just trying to plant operatives in foreign crypto companies. 
It has set up a network of hacker hotels in other countries and launched a slew of high-profile crypto heists. All done in a bid to fund the Little Hermit Kingdom's number one priority, its nuclear arsenal. Stay with us. When John Wu got that resume and crazy cover letter back in April, it was in response to a Help Wanted ad. His company, Aztec Protocol, was looking for a full-stack engineer. Essentially, full-stack means familiarity with both front-end technologies and back-end technologies, so websites and databases. So he was meant to be someone who could kind of do it all. Someone who, depending on their seniority, could make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and would probably have access to all kinds of Web3 systems that would be helping people trade crypto. And though it seemed ridiculous, John Wu couldn't shake the feeling that it might have been a North Korean in that interview. It wasn't just the other voices he thought he heard speaking Korean in the background. There were other weirdly fishy things, like the guy's name. Bobby Sierra. It's also a name that's so generic as to be comical. It's as if someone put American name generator into the internet and it just kind of popped out with Bobby Sierra. And then John noticed, just an hour or two after talking to Bobby, that someone started tinkering with his online resume, like they were trying to improve it. Some of the links that he had provided to his prior work were changing. He was already changing the pointer. He was, maybe his overlord at the office was saying, hey, that wasn't very effective. You know, maybe we need to polish up your fake resume a little bit. You know, he was getting career coaching advice, you know, from the North Korean government. And John Wu admits that if you step back, all of this sounds a little far-fetched. And of course, everyone was incredulous because, I mean, how could you know? Also, I mean, what a ridiculous story. But then he heard this news. Now, Washington says Pyongyang is dispatching thousands of skilled IT workers overseas to seek employment while posing... Back in May, just weeks after that weird interview, the FBI's State Department and Treasury issued an advisory warning tech companies about a new scam. It said that North Koreans were disguising themselves as ordinary tech workers. The release even listed what to watch for, things that sounded uncomfortably familiar to John, like job applicants who wouldn't turn on their webcams or unexplained inconsistencies in their histories and odd work locations. It looked like John wasn't so crazy after all. And and how did you end the interview? Thank you very much. We'll be in touch. Uh, no, I, I actually didn't give him that courtesy. I think when he came back and didn't address any of the other questions, uh, I kind of freaked out a little bit and I logged off and, I, you know, my mind started racing. I was like, has he already injected a vulnerability? Did I accidentally screen share him? Did I get a pull request? What emails has he sent my team? John never confirmed that Bobby Sierra was actually a North Korean. But the interview did sound an awful lot like what the U.S. advisory told people to look out for. U.S. officials say they believe North Koreans have started applying for IT jobs for two reasons. The jobs allow them to repatriate money and avoid sanctions. And if it's a crypto company they're applying to, they have the added bonus of potentially allowing them to plant an insider who could help them launch something later, like a huge crypto heist. And while John Wu may have seen through Bobby Sierra's masterful disguise, he suspects Bobby probably had luck elsewhere, just because it's hard to find people to do this kind of work right now. It's especially hard to hire for software engineers. 
The problem is, once you hire a contractor, they can use a subcontractor. You know, the contractor says, I've got this contract, I need to deliver a piece of code. Well, I don't have the guys either. I'm gonna subcontract that out. And that subcontractor got a subcontractor. And that subcontractor, without realizing it, unknowingly hires a North Korean hacker. When we come back, why Pyongyang is banking on crypto. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Okay, this is a crazy one. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. So 25 years later, on December 8th, 2022, both men were freed based on evidence that was unearthed in Proof in the podcast, which, again, insane. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, it's called, Susan and Jacinda, they're back on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried, buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Bands of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Again, last season, they got someone off. They got two people off of a murder. So follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof Murder at the Warehouse wherever you get your podcasts. Back in the 1980s, I lived in Northeast China, not far from North Korea. There were just a handful of Westerners living in that part of China at the time, and we'd meet up at the local hotels to drink on Friday nights. There was the Phoenix Hotel, the Metropole, the Chilbosan. This was back when China's hotels looked very Soviet. It was hard to get a foreign beer, and the hotel maids actually mopped the rugs instead of vacuuming them. Even back then, the Chilbosan was filled with North Koreans. And when Pyongyang got into the hacking business, the Chilbosan, with its great internet connections, became an outpost for North Korean hackers. And they were pretty obvious about it. The dining, you know, is, is all Korean food, um, the way the staff is. Uh, it's like a little... 
let's call it resort haven inside of China, but actually fully North Korean. Eric Chen is a security researcher at Symantec, and he's one of the world's go-to guys on North Korean hacking. And they call it the Hacker Hotel because, again, hackers are there, essentially in hotel rooms, uh, hacking away day and night and living uh, there at the same time. Have, have you been there? I have not been there. I've not been there. I, I don't. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure. I would be. Uh, I would be uh, welcome. I think you'd have to go in disguise, maybe. <laughs> Potentially, <laughs> we'll work on that. The Chobasan Hotel was a longtime base of operations for Pyongyang's premier hacking gang, the Lazarus Group. We've been tracking them since the very early days, probably 2009. They conducted a mass distributed denial of service attack on the U.S. and South Korea. Some of those artifacts that we had covered at that time date back probably to as early as 2007. Wow. Wow. How North Korea actually organizes its hackers is a bit complicated. North Korea has a reconnaissance bureau. They are primarily underneath the People's Army in North Korea. And uh, most of the cybercrime operations are done under what's called the Third Bureau. And then within the Third Bureau... There's another group that is called Lab 110. Uh, but basically, you know, they're embedded within the, the military operations of uh, North Korea. The Lazarus Group is thought to be working for Lab 110. And it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that its work has become the stuff of legend. ...are responsible for some of the most damaging and most well-known cyber intrusions in history, including the cyber attack targeting Sony Pictures. Multi-million dollar salaries of top Sony executives. The cyber heist of Bangladesh Bank. In this $81 million heist, we're learning a lot. And creating the WannaCry ransomware. Ransomware on hundreds of thousands of computers around the world and nearly crippled the British healthcare system. So it's a significant impact. So you have to wonder, given all this activity, why don't the authorities just march down to the Chilbasan Hotel and round up some of these people? And there was talk of doing that. Then, a few years ago, the Chilbasan unexpectedly announced it was closing. U.S. officials say North Korea has moved its operations elsewhere. North Korea's motivations for all this hacking make it different from other countries. China tends to focus on intellectual property. Russia wants to sow chaos. Iran specializes in U.S. infrastructure hacks. And North Korea is, and always has been, all about the money. So in the old days, I'm sorry to be so retro and talk about dollar bills. I thought North Korea made the greatest counterfeit American dollars. It's, it's actually good that you talk about the old days because a lot of people don't realize something about North Korea. What they're doing today with cyber offensive actions in, in the financial world is what they were doing in the past before computers existed. So North Korea has always been involved in organized crime drug trade, counterfeiting, and that's how they were getting their money in the past. And now what we've seen is just a shift where they realize it's much easier to achieve those same objectives uh, just by using, you know, cyber offensive operations. And cryptocurrency exchanges are a new tantalizing target. They're brimming with money, and they're surprisingly vulnerable. Most of these organizations they're hacking are small startups. And to be frank, uh, have not invested that much in security as much as something like a Main Street bank. Not only are mainstream banks harder to break into, but the sheer logistics of moving that cash into North Korea without being noticed is hard. If you wanted to steal, say, $81 million from Bangladesh Bank, how would you get it back to Pyongyang? 
You have to set up fake accounts, bribe bank managers. You have to have people go to the banks, take money out in suitcases, and then launder it through gambling junkets. So if you think about all of that effort that's required to get that money, and you have to pay all those middlemen as well, uh, when we talk about cryptocurrency, they just transfer it one place to another and eventually cash it out. We talk about cryptocurrency, once it's gone, it's pretty much gone. And the granddaddy Ocean's Eleven crypto heist of all time? Well, it happened this past spring when Lazarus hackers broke into a crypto company called Ronin. It's uh, based on what's called Ethereum, uh, so just a type of cryptocurrency. One of the problems with cryptocurrency that hasn't been worked out yet is that you can't just move digital coins from one blockchain to another automatically. Unlike the banking system, cryptocurrency exchanges are siloed. So companies have built something called a cryptocurrency bridge, and it allows you to change Bitcoin into, say, Ethereum. They're like the electronic equivalent of those foreign currency exchange booths at the airport. The crypto bridge requires that every transaction have keys to verify the transfer, like showing your passport at the airport booth. If you can steal enough of those keys... It's like getting sort of the skeleton key for that network. And this is what Lazarus did this past spring. They took over some keys at that crypto company, Ronin, and then just transferred a bunch of cryptocurrency into their wallets. The haul, at the time, was some $600 million, all bound for Pyongyang's pockets. You essentially have one person at Kim Jong-un who decides, I need, you know, a billion dollars raised this year to help fund the country. And so hack whoever and whatever you can to make that money. The big concern, at least for the U.S. and its allies, though, is where all that money is going. That's a North Korean propaganda video of a missile launch, a visual reminder of the great leader's top priority. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh. Stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. The information that I am providing today is coming from higher dimensional Consciousness. Things got so weird during 2020, and it wasn't just the QAnon conspiracy theorists. This New Age channel told us... But Donald Trump is a massive and powerful light worker. A light worker? And then what about this Oprah-endorsed, best-selling feminist health icon talking about heavy metals... That are in vaccines that make our bodies literally into an antenna with 5G. As we continued studying what we now call conspirituality, it only got more intense. This is, this is the cult of Baphomet. This is Molochite worshipping... Stuff. It gets very gory in the basement. And it culminated with that shaman dude showing up at the Capitol insurrection. 
But it didn't stop there. Every week on Conspirituality Podcast, we track the overlaps between New Age spirituality and far-right conspiracy cults. Earlier this year, a U.N. report tried to quantify just how much North Korean hackers were stealing to support Kim Jong-un's obsession. The U.N. says it is conservatively in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And while hacking is helping with the bulk of that, sending out guys like Bobby Sierra to pose as IT specialists looking for work is adding to that bottom line, too. And it may be happening more than we think. I actually talked to someone at a co-working space, and he came up to me and he told me in confidence. John Wu again. You know, we had a North Korean on payroll. We had hired a guy, and he had been working us for six months. And it wasn't until the FBI called us that we were like, oh, oh, golly, you know, we didn't do the correct security checks here. He says crypto heists are just objectively bad for everyone, because in the end, whether you're a digital asset or an old fashioned currency, money is all based on trust. Our number one goal in this industry is to keep users safe. And if users aren't safe, we aren't doing our job. So that's number one. Number two, and it sounds crazy to say this, this is a matter of national security. Like I talked to a guy who's trying to take money from me and like give it to the development of ballistic missiles. I mean, that's just crazy. This is Click Here. 